Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. Learn more about Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us at 10 a.m. on Sundays at voxoc.com slash live and at the El Dorado Performing Arts Center. Oh, good morning. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Vox. Hey, yo. How's everyone doing? Hi, hello, welcome. Thanks for coming. Uh, a couple quick things. We're going to do some announcements before we get started. Uh, if you're new to Vox, uh, here's what to expect. Uh, the Eucharist, or as some people call it communion, is at the heart of what we do. That's why we gather. Uh, we believe that this is the table that levels the playing field, uh, that makes all of us equal, and everybody is welcome to this table. We put our differences aside, and we connect and commune with Jesus. Uh, and we give time and space to reflect and to respond to that. So in our worship, what you'll experience is that we give an invitation, not coercion. We just say simply come and worship the way that you want to, whatever feels comfortable for you. For some people, it's sitting. That's the tradition that you come from. Feel free. For those of you that standing and raising your hands, you can do that. This is your time. You're simply invited to worship and respond. And then lastly, uh, you'll notice that we'll do some teaching. Um, teaching is not the heart of what we do. Uh, and actually, we, we think that our teachers uh, are more well-rounded in that we have differing theological backgrounds. We center everything on Jesus, but we have different takes and stuff. And so you'll see some of that expressed as we continue on through the morning. Um, and then we value questions. So if you have questions, send them in. We have a text number. You can text at any time if you have questions about the message, about the service, about the church, the gathering, whatever it is, we'd love to answer it. And we will do that a little bit later. Yeah. Yeah, right on. Uh, I got a couple uh, announcements as, uh, man, we got the year started. We have all kinds of fun and new stuff happening um, here at Vox. So uh, give me the uh, women's, uh, women in leadership uh, workshop slide. So uh, today at 11.45, immediately after service, um, I will be facilitating a workshop um, out in the PE room way back there. Uh, this is going to be a fun one. We actually had the chance to uh, invite a friend of ours, Carrie Stockton, who is the Dean of Student Success at Biola, <laughs> um, to sit with us and uh, discuss some issues. Um, in addition, we have uh, two of our community pastors, Carol Chambers, uh, right there in the middle, and then uh, Carly Bedard, who's uh, also here too. And um, yeah, we're just going to sit down and, and have a dialogue around uh, women in leadership. And I think what I'm looking forward to is not just um, the context to church and that type of thing, but also as it relates to um, where it stands in culture and how the church plays a role in that and how the church should maybe stand in some of the margin to help, um, you know, prop up more of those uh, equal values and, and that kind of thing too. So Good. that's going to be great. And then if I got uh, the uh, Safe to Belong Vox PM uh, slides with uh, Matt and Ryan, if we still got those, that'd be cool. But so next week, we will not be in this room at 10 a.m., so do not come here. Uh, Bruce and Carol will be outside. If you want to come say <laughs> hi to them as they're waiting for folks who may come here, you can come say hi. But uh, we will be meeting um, at Fieldwork in downtown Fullerton at 5 p.m. Um, to have dinner and spend time together and uh, build relationship. Um, you guys... You mean like a church? Yeah, oh, I guess okay. so. Right. You guys had asked us. Like This is this is why I love this, is, is a couple things. Um, one, we felt we could do this because you guys have given us outrageous permission over the past three years to be flexible, to try things, to, to be creative for what it's worth. And um, I think landing on this idea felt so good for, for this one reason, right? I don't know about many of you, but Sunday for me doesn't really ever feel like Sabbath, mm. <laughs> you know, especially working on a church staff and that kind of thing. I think even attending church my entire life, Sunday morning always felt like a grind and a hustle and you're getting up early because we do this thing called church. And if I'm a teenager, God forbid, I need to get out of bed before 10 a.m. Um, so the beauty of this thing, I've been really thinking about this is here's the win. You guys get to sleep in on Sunday. Amen. Hang out with your families. Praise. 
Um, you get to go to brunch because the rest of the world does this thing called brunch. You know, you actually get to be in culture and enjoy like expensive, delicious food between breakfast and lunch. Um, unless you go to Denny's, of course. Unless you go to Denny's, okay. Um, like I'm not Denny's, okay. the mega church of diners. Yeah. Um, but then in the evening time, we feed you guys, so you get a free meal. It's not that you have to make dinner or go or go somewhere else and pay for it. We feed you guys, and you get to spend time together and hang out. So doesn't that sound awesome? I think so. It's great. So it's a win-win. It's a win for us. It's actually a little bit more affordable than coming here on Sunday morning. So we thought that'd be a great way to, to respond to your guys' giving and say, well, for us to give back, why don't we feed you and give you guys a space to actually get to know each other um, a little bit more. And then right after that at 7 o'clock, uh, Ronnie and I will be hosting um, our new live podcast, which will be Safe to Belong. Um, and for the evening, we're hosting our friends Matt Allen and Ryan Longnecker, two incredible artists, uh, Matt who goes here. And um, they'll have an art gallery. We're actually transforming the whole room. So so all their art will be up, and that's a time between 7 and 9 that you can look at that. Um, this is not going to be a thing where there's a bunch of rows of chairs, and you guys got to sit and listen to a podcast. It's going to be standing room. We're just going to be hanging out. You're welcome to even peruse while we're having the podcast itself. So it's not this really formal thing, more than just a way for you guys to get to know our artist and, and share a lot about what that's about. So um, we got that going, and it's all free. Um, invite your friends. Bring your friends. You're welcome to bring... To the know, dinner, too, right? To the dinner, too. You can bring friends and family to the dinner as well. We would love to feed them. So... Um, Questions? Questions? Am I doing questions? Yeah, okay. that's it. That's it for me. So yeah, Ronnie's going to hit some questions and uh, we'll go. All right. All right, guys. Thanks. Great. Thanks, Andy. So uh, some questions that came in over the last couple of weeks. I want to answer those real quick. Sorry, man. You guys came out pretty early. Uh, thank you for reminding us that we don't bring our best self to the table, but rather we bring our broken self to the table. It seems that our culture has confused hope with happiness, and therefore we are tempted even sometimes as a church to manufacture and market this skewed version of hope. Would you say that as a follower of Christ must experience suffering in order to understand Christian hope? And if so, are there times that God lovingly and intentionally puts us through pain in order to understand his presence in it? Ooh, good question. If Christ was permitted by God to suffer along with Paul and the disciples, then would it be fair to say that sometimes, not every time, God inflicts specific pain in order to, to heal our hearts? Are there places in the faith journey where God looks at his child with his hope and says, take her down as the commanding officer of a spiritual war within? If so, then I understand some of my own history of personal and spiritual failure from a new perspective that gives me a new hope for myself and my faith. Wow. Uh, great, great question. I remember when we were reading this, we were all like, wow, this is, uh, this is an awesome question. Lots of people think this and wonder about this. So here's the deal. Uh, this was answered in two parts um, on the podcast, the Vox podcast with Mike Erie and Andy. Um, and so I'm going to give you uh, the address where you can get that. So if you're not subscribed to the podcast, I, I highly recommend you go do that. Uh, lots of great content on there, but this is answered in two parts, better than I can answer it in five minutes and not give it the justice that it deserves because it's a heavy and big question. So if you want... Um, um, go there. You can uh, see it there. Episode 35 and 37 are the two parts. So good question. Sorry, I didn't mean to seem like we're not answering your questions. It's just answered already. So next question. All right. Bonnie's message uh, was helpful personally, but I'm confused by Ezekiel 37. Are those prophecies, especially in the last half of the chapter, to the literal nation of Israel? They seem impossible to be fulfilled since the 10 tribes are lost and the current state is largely secular. I know some say prophecies like this apply to the church, but it seems to reach uh, seems a reach to apply these specifics about Ephraim and Judah to followers of Jesus. 
Great question. Um, I think Bonnie uh, wants to answer this question personally because she taught on it and I think it's only fair. Um, I will say this and I'll preface this. Just as a, as a way of thinking about the Old Testament, when you look at the prophets, uh, this is a very key thing to understand. Um, prophecy is not foretelling the future. Okay, some people think that's what prophecy is. It's not. God's people were under a covenant. They had a covenant law. There was a, an agreement between God and his people about how they would behave and how they would operate in other, amongst other nations. A prophet's primary purpose was to hold the people accountable to their covenant. Okay, so whenever you come across prophets, the Old and the Old Testament, whether it's the minor prophets or the major prophets, uh, remember that what he's saying is a call back to the covenant relationship that they have with God. So it is for that moment in that time. And yet, some of the prophecies do uh, apply to the future of Israel and to the church. So there's a little bit of like learning how to meet some of that out when you study scripture, but I just wanted to give that as a preface. So as you go through your Bible and you hear different things, remember a prophet's primary goal is to tell the people of Israel about the covenant that they made with God. That's their primary purpose. So Bonnie will answer that question on a Facebook Live um, and go more into detail of Ezekiel 37. So stay tuned for that. Uh, Without further ado, we're going to start worship and uh, we'll get into it. Have a good morning. Morning, everybody. It's good to be with you. Uh, Who all went to the uh, spiritual workshop last week? Who's here? Great. Yeah, it was a fun time. Uh, If you haven't heard about this or if this is new for you, uh, we'd like to invite you to these. We do them once a month, um, and we're practicing spiritual practices and learning what that looks like and having dialogue and conversation, and I thought it went great. Uh, We got lots of great feedback, um, and so we've even started a Facebook group for those people to do practices and discussions, so it's a really, really great opportunity. If you're curious about spiritual practices, or maybe for you, they've kind of had mixed feelings this is a great place to start. Um, And so we'd like to invite you to continue to to look for those. There will be one next month as well. Uh, This morning, we're going to do something a little bit different. Um, In the wake of what Carrie did last week uh, in our time of reflection, we're going to continue our time of reflection this morning in some unique ways. Um, uh, Dallas Willard has been a huge impact in my life and my wife's life. In fact, so much so we named our firstborn son after him. For those of you who don't know Dallas Willard is, he's a theologian, he's a philosopher and a teacher. Uh, He's has since passed, but he's written some incredible works uh, and really helped shape my spiritual formation um, as a believer. And so I wanted to share some of the things that he has shared with us with you guys, because I think they're super, super profound. You can actually find what we're going to share this morning in a book that he wrote called A Life Without Lack. Um, And in it, he walks through Psalm 23. Uh, And so we're going to do that this morning. We're going to go line by line through Psalm 23. When you walked in, you got a piece of paper and a pencil. And that's for you. This is not coercion again. This is just an invitation. So if you want to write down some reflections and some thoughts and some things that happen in you and in your mind, as you hear some of the words, this will be perfect for you. Uh, We'll go slow. We'll go intentional. I'll teach a little bit, not a lot. Uh, And then I'll just give you time to kind of think about it. So we'll we'll, we'll spend some time together in Psalm 23. Before we start, I want to kind of set up a little bit of what uh, is going to be talked about. The first thing is that when you look at the New Testament, uh, Jesus comes, and one of the first things that he preaches when he starts is that the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. You might see those words interchangeable depending on your translation. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does that mean? What is the kingdom? Um, And so for us, we need to make a delineation about what a kingdom is and so that we're clear. Uh, A kingdom is the range of a person's effective will. It is the ability 
to control what you want to control. Everybody has a kingdom, right? And some of us have queendoms. That's the nature of having your own space and your ability to control what is yours. Anything outside of that is not your kingdom. Um, And so when Jesus comes and he says the kingdom of God is at hand, he is actually announcing that God's effective will is at hand, is here, is present, is available. And throughout the Gospels, uh, Jesus uh, is announcing what a life lived in God's kingdom looks like. He shows us what it looks like to subvert our own kingdoms, to say, all the things that I want to get done, get done, are pushed aside, and I sit in a life of Jesus where what God wants done gets done. And really, for us, this journey spiritually, when you look at uh, what Jesus has set forth, is about how do we enmesh the two kingdoms? How do we allow God's mega kingdom to engulf our mini kingdoms, right? This is what it looks like to live the spiritual life, a life in connection and communion with God. So that sets us up perfectly to understand a little bit about what happens in Psalm 23. Now, Psalm 23 was written by David. Um, There's not a lot known specifically about the time when David wrote this or what was going on. Some people say it was when David was a shepherd. Um, And when he was a shepherd boy, he he had his experiences and he wrote this psalm because he was an amazing songwriter. Uh, But because of some of the language that he uses, it's probably not likely that he was, a, he was a child. Some think he was more when he was a king because he talks about the fact that he has enemies. And having enemies at this point would mean that, um, that he's gone through battle, that he's been in this position for a while. So regardless, David has had some experiences in life. David has had the ups and downs. Um, as a shepherd, he's been out in the field by himself for hours and hours and days and days and weeks on end without any human interaction, but a lot of times reflect. Um, And so some of the language that you'll see in Psalm 23 is familiar to other Near East ancient um, literature. Uh, The Babylonians uh, talked about their king as a shepherd. Uh, The Assyrians talked about their king as a good shepherd. And so you'll see that David uses some of that mirroring language to talk about God, uh, the God of the Bible. So With that, let me pray and set up our time of reflection because I think that's important to create space for our hearts and for our minds to be in a posture and a position to receive if God should choose to show up. God, we thank you for um, a gathering. We thank you for this time and this space. We ask that you would um, calm our hearts. You'd calm our minds. That you'd give us the ability to hear the small, still voice that you speak in at times. Maybe for some of us, we need to hear the loud scream that's happening, and it may be you calling us into something. Pray that you'd help us hear you, to connect with you, to commune with you. We thank you. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. Psalm 23, verse 1. Are you ready? Here we go. The Lord is my shepherd. In other words, I'm in the care of someone else. Has any of us been in the care of someone else? Yes. I'm not the one in charge. I've taken my kingdom and I've surrendered it to the kingdom of God. I'm living the life with God. The Lord is my shepherd. Think about that for a second. The Lord is your shepherd. You are not the one in charge. You think about sheep. Sheep, unlike goats, need constant protection, right? They need constant attention. Uh, Goats are pretty self-sufficient. Goats can find their own food. Goats can find their own pasture. Goats can sort of do their own thing. Sheep, on the other hand, not so much. 
Sheep need to be led to a place where they can find food, where they can find water. They need someone to look after them. And so this is what a shepherd's goal was. So, so David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I'm not the one in charge. I desperately need someone to lead me and guide me. What does that mean to you? Just take a moment, just think about that for a second. Just sit in this space. The Lord is your shepherd. What follows from having the Lord as your shepherd? I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. I'm not in charge. Therefore, I shall not want. That's the natural result, isn't it? I shall not lack anything. That's what Jesus teaches. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be added. Do you know what it feels like to want? Sure you do. Do you know what it feels like to have a life where you feel like you're lacking? Sure you do. And Jesus says, there's something for you. A way to allow your kingdom to be overcome by God's kingdom where you can actually live a life without lack. That's crazy to think about, isn't it? It says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. What kind of sheep lies down in a green pasture? This is an interesting thought. A sheep that has eaten its fill. Because if a sheep is in green pasture and she's not full, she'll be eating, not lying down. So the Lord is my shepherd, meaning I'm not in charge. I release my control of the things around me to a good shepherd, to the one who looks after me. And because I do that, I shall not want is the natural result. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. I'm full. I'm not striving. I'm not anxious. I'm not constantly toiling, trying to make myself and the world figure it all out. He leads me beside the still waters. A sheep that is being led beside still water is a sheep that is not thirsty. Much like a sheep who lies down in a green pasture is no longer hungry, a sheep that sits down next to a stream is no longer thirsty. You recall Jesus said to the woman at the well, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Take just a moment. Let's just think about those few lines. The Lord is your shepherd, shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Here's a question for you. Who is your shepherd? Are you the shepherd? Are you the one in control? Is something else in your life a shepherd? Perhaps not a good shepherd. Where do you find yourself in this story? David goes on. 
He restores my soul. The broken depths of my soul are healed and reintegrated in a life in union with God, the eternal kind of life. Your soul, the very makeup of who you are, is tied intrinsically to the one who created you. And the care of that soul, so important. Who restores your soul? Who restores your soul? Maybe you haven't thought much about it. Who restores your soul? He, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. The effect of the restoration of my soul is that I will walk in paths of righteousness on his behalf as a natural expression of my renewed inner nature. As I walk these paths, my trust in the shepherd runs so deep that I can declare, yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Isn't it interesting how this is building upon itself? The effect of the restoration of my soul is that I walk in passive righteousness on his behalf as a natural expression of my renewed inner nature. This is at the heart, again, when we look at the Gospels and we look at the New Testament, Paul, uh, in his letter to the Galatians, writes about this fruit that's expressed from a life in God. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, virtues. No one can set out to just be those things. Try as you might. You cannot ever do that, right? You can't just sit there one day and think really hard to yourself, I'm gonna be patient today. Because how many of us have tried that, right? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. You try and then something happens and then you get messed up and then you, you know, it spins you out of control and then you feel like failure and guilt and shame. But you see, what Jesus presented was that you would relinquish your kingdom, a kingdom that tries to control everything, and relinquish it to the good shepherd. And you allow his world, his will, to change your life. And then, your outward actions become the reflection of the inward change that happens naturally. You become the kind of person who already does these things. The fruit of the Spirit isn't a list of things to achieve. No, these are the outcomes, right? Just like fruit is born on a tree, it comes from the natural progression of what a tree does. This is what it looks like to enter into that kingdom of God. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. In other words, the good shepherd takes you into a world that is fierce, a world that is angry, a world that might be a little disillusioned, and he says, there is righteousness here. You can be this. And as I walk these paths, my trust in the shepherd runs so deep that I can declare, yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. That's a heavy, heavy line. A life without lack is one that carries no fear of evil. Our confidence in God soars far above wants and fears. Would you like to have a life without fear? A life of soaring faith. It seems like Jesus was constantly saying to his friends, fear not, fear not. 
Imagine what that would be like. No fear of life, aging, or death, disease, or hunger. No fear of any person or creature, not even the loss of all your possessions. You can live without fear, even in the midst of a world dominated by fear. I could easily have chosen fear no evil as this book's theme because we're walking about a life from which fear is eliminated. While the psalmist clearly knows about life's danger, he can still say, I will fear no evil. Is that hard to hear? I know for me it is. I remember sitting in the lecture when Dallas was talking about this. And my mind was swirling. How can anyone live a life without fear? I feel like that's constantly a part of my life, right? Anybody who has kids, you constantly live a life of fear for your children, right? Mostly a fear for my oldest because my youngest is going to beat him up one day. He's so big. But right, like, what does that look like? How do we live in a place where we can relinquish that fear? Where we can let go of those anxiety moments, those moments that cause us to be um, paralyzed with an inability to act or respond? Does it just happen overnight? No. It comes with a constant walking with the shepherd, being led to green pastures, being led to lie next to still waters, giving up control. Dallas says, please read this, his answer out loud. Here's why I can walk to the valley of the shadow of death without no fear. Because the next line in Psalm 23, for you are with me. For you are with me. Is that hard to grab? Do you feel God with you? What's your experience been like? See, I truly believe that your experiences will dictate a lot of what you're, ex- what you're hearing and how you respond. Do you feel that? That God is with you? I know that for me personally, in the depths of the greatest pain and suffering I've ever had to go through is when I finally clicked and I felt that God was with me. And here's the interesting thing about that. The suffering and pain didn't go away. Although I thought it would because my, my Christian tradition had told me just believe and everything will be okay. If you just do these things, then it'll be all right. Now that wasn't true. No, no, I still had to deal with the reality of the ordeal that I was in, the place, the experiences, the feelings, the hurt, the pain, all of that was real. But what happened was that I recognized that God was not far from me, that he actually stood next to me in the midst of that pain. He was there. In my own personal hell, I saw Jesus in the garden, in his own personal hell, suffering obediently, suffering well, praying and petitioning to God, take it away. Have you experienced that? For you are with me. The central truth is that the complete sufficiency of the life without lack is based upon the presence of God. Let me say that again. 
The complete sufficiency of the life without lack is based upon the presence of God. And he is most clearly and fully present to us in Jesus Christ. Emmanuel, God with us. See, that's what Jesus said, right, in Matthew 4. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. You are looking for what the kingdom of God is. Well, here it is. It's right in front of you. Look no further. Christian tradition has taught us, some of us, maybe not all of us, it's a generalization, but some of us that the point of following Jesus is so that you get to heaven after you die. And see, that's wrong. Because for Jesus, the point of following him was to get to heaven before you die. That you could experience a bit of heaven and a bit of God here now. Have you been to a place and seen hungry people get fed? Have you sat with somebody who has lost someone close and been with them and walked with them through that journey? That, those acts, those moments show us what the kingdom of God looks like. Compassionate, full of mercy, gracious, kind. That heaven is available and is here now. David writes, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I know from experience that the rod and the staff represent the shepherd's strength and protective care. In this safe place where I have no fear, I am at liberty to enjoy the overwhelming generosity of my shepherd. Ah, let's take that in for a second. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In this safe place, in this safe place where I have no fear, I am at liberty to enjoy the overwhelming generosity of my shepherd. Sometimes I think Christians don't know how to enjoy, right? We have a hard time with that. And yet in the safety of Jesus, we can enjoy his great generosity. Whatever you have, you get to enjoy it because his rod and his staff, they comfort you. The rod uh, was used as a way to help guide and protect along with the shepherd's crook which would help give direction. And so the, the rod was usually kept right here on the hip and then the staff, the shepherd's crook which you know was used to help sort of guide. And so this picture is a good shepherd who helps give you direction. When you start to get offline, he gives you a little tap to push you back this way, right? That's the safety that David is talking about. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What does that mean? Since I love my enemies, because isn't that what Jesus taught, to love your enemies? I would not feast upon a delicious meal in their presence and let them stand there hungry. The abundance of God's provision and safety in my life is so great, I would invite them to enjoy what God has prepared for me. Ugh. What? I remember when Dallas said this, I just laughed. Like, this is crazy. Wait, what? And yeah, what Jesus presents, even in his first century, was 
mind-blowing for people. Why would anybody, why would anybody love their enemy? Let alone go to the extent of inviting them into a place to feast with you. To share space with a gracious and loving and merciful God. You see, this is the hard part for me. I find myself wanting to be angry and wanting to hold on to um, bitterness and contempt for certain people. And then, in the midst of my anger and frustration, I'm reminded of my own faults and my own failures. And I don't think it's God trying to shame me or condemn me. I think it's God going, hey, you're human too. You're human too. The things that you get angry about, the things that you're upset about with other people, you have those same issues. And yet, I cause my reign to fall on the good and the evil. You gain the blessing and the benefit of my love and my grace just the same. Can you extend that? And then I go, (sighs) like a pout, like a little kid, you know? But it's those gentle reminders of who I am. It's almost that God brings this self-awareness, right? Hey, wake up. You're not perfect, and yet I still love you. People aren't perfect. You can still love them. You anoint my head with oil. Here you might think in terms of hot showers and warm fluffy towels, things that make us feel clean, comfortable, and special, and how God makes that possible. He is not only interested in my having something wonderful to eat, but also in blessing me with a life that is full and free and powerful in him, including clothing, comfortable furnishings, joyful experiences, and deep relationships. So much so that the abundance of God's provision rings out from the psalmist's pen. My cup is full, is what David says. You anoint my head with oil, my cup is full. Can you stand here today and see that you've been anointed with oil? You have been given all things. The things that you have to enjoy and to experience have been given freely to you. And can you say, my cup is full? Is that what the verse says? If you're following along in Psalm 23, it's not what it says. No, it says, my cup runneth over. I have more than my cup will hold, so much that I can be as generous as my shepherd without fear of ever running out, so much so that I am convinced. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want to stop at the, my cup runneth over. Have you been to a place where you felt the overwhelming blessing, overwhelming amount of love and grace and mercy that it feels like your cup can't contain all of what God has given you? If you haven't, that's okay. Because what it says is that there's a promise here for you, that surely you can. If David could find it, so can you. Jesus promises it. Now, there might be some distinction about what does it look like to have blessing, right? Because some of us equate blessing, let's be honest, to having things like cars and houses and all that stuff, and surely they are. But maybe, just maybe the blessings are beyond that. 
Maybe there are things that you can't quantify. Maybe they aren't things at all. Maybe it's relationships. I don't know. Have you felt a cup that runs over? Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is a description of the eternal life available to us now in the kingdom of the heavens, the abundant with God life that comes from following the shepherd, where we dwell and abide with God in the fullness of his life, a life in which all the promises of Christ's gospel are realized Because of this, we have no reason to be anxious. The world is a perfectly safe place for us to be. How does that hit you? Is the world a safe place for you to be? I'll be honest, I don't always feel that. And my experiences in life growing up have taught me that at times it's not. But, A life with Jesus helps us understand where God is at in relation to us, that he's with us. He's a good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David's psalm, um, when read this way and understood this way, gives some interesting perspective. I don't know how many times I'd heard Psalm 23 taught, shared, read. And when I began to break it down and hear Dallas talk about these different aspects of a life with Christ, it really awakened some things in me. My hope is that this morning, uh, some things will awaken in you, that you'll hear God in some new ways, that maybe you'll address some issues, some things in your life where you need to look at, pay attention to. Wherever you're at, this place is safe. This place is sacred for you to respond to God. Together, collectively, we will um, take communion, which, as I shared at the beginning of the hour, is a chance for us to come to the table equal, that all power and position is gone. It's all erased. doesn't matter where you come from, who you are, or what you've done. It's all about what Jesus has done, and he invites everyone to that place. So there's communion. There's some here, right here. There's some on that side. There's gluten-free communion as well, if you need that. There's also communion at the front here, for those of you who are closer to the front. And The next few minutes are just going to be space and time for you to respond to what you've heard. If you don't have anything to write down, that's okay. You don't have to conjure up anything. No big deal. You heard some stuff? 
Maybe you need to talk with people. Well, we have community pastors who are around. They'll be wearing red lanyards. If you want to talk with them, feel free to approach them and have a conversation. They'd love to pray with you and talk with you as well. Before we go into that response time, I want to pray for us to just kind of set um, a time for us. So just close your eyes. We're going to do something. We're going to do something together. I just thought of this. We did this in the workshop. We did a breath prayer. I don't know if you've ever done a breath prayer. What we're going to do is we're all going to take a deep breath in and exhale. Just pay attention to your breathing. As you feel the air come in through your nose and into your lungs, breathe in the breath of life that God breathes out on you. And as you exhale, you exhale all worry and anxiety and anger and guilt and shame. Deep breath in. You're breathing in the breath of life. You exhale all of the things that are holding you back. God, we're thankful for you. Thankful for your son Jesus who showed us what the kingdom of God actually looks like. The full realization of your world here on earth. Help us to attain it. Help us to grab a hold of it. Help us to hold fast to the things that lead us to you. Help us to let go and relinquish the things that hold us from you. We're thankful that you are a good shepherd who takes his sheep to a green pasture to lie down because we're full. You take us to a stream of water to lie down because we're not thirsty. God, we thank you. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So this response time is for you. If you want to take communion, uh, you can do that at this time. The uh, community pastors will be getting ready right now. Um, If you want to sit and reflect and write, you can do that. Uh, The band's going to play a couple songs, and then uh, we'll wrap up. This is your time. Hello, Vox. Long time no see. It's been a while. Um, But it's good to see you guys. I'm glad you guys are here. Um, The reason why Will and Emily are here is we got some bittersweet news, you guys. Um, They're moving to Austin. Um, We are not. Are you coming with us? You guys are (laughs) moving. So we wanted to let you guys know. um, I'll let them explain um, why Austin, why now, why God. Um, but uh, I wanted them to share a little bit of, as to why they're called to Austin, what, what that's all about, but um, who wants to start? Hello. It's very bright up here. I now know what you guys are always talking about. Um, so why Austin? So I, ever since I was in college, um, I always thought that life beyond college for me would probably be somewhere else. For some reason. I grew up here. I've lived in Orange my whole life. Um, and kind of as time went on, as we got married, that kind of became an idea that was really adopted by Will also. And so over the last five and a half years, we have thought, where will our life be um, in the future? And so we have loved our time here in Fullerton. We lived for a while in Orange. Um, 
But yeah, we really just have spent the last five plus years married, uh, wondering where we were going to live um, beyond this. And so every time we went somewhere, we always thought, could we live here? We've been to Seattle and Portland and Nashville and all these places. And about a year and a half ago, we visited Austin for the first time and um, just both unanimously fell in love with the city and felt like this is actually a city that we can really see our lives in. And whether that was from us, whether it was partially from the Lord, um, we feel like over the last year and a half, we have just really prayed into that um, and tried to figure out if that was just something we desired or if that was something that the Lord would also bless. Um, And so over the course of the last year and a half, we really just feel like the Lord has actually prompted us to go and um, the time is right. And so we're going. (laughs) Yeah, so that's kind of the the story of why Austin. I mean, if you guys have more questions, we'd love to answer those. We don't want to keep you, obviously. Um, But the thing that I wanted to share is just how much we love you guys, Vox, and this community. And we've been here from the start, um, the soft launch, for those of you who were there. And so, yeah, we will be here until February 10th. Um, That will be my last Sunday. I get to teach that day, which will be super fun. And hopefully we'll get to come back to and uh, continue to teach here and there and uh, be a part of what's happening. But we just want you to know uh, how much we love all of you in this community and really believe in what's happening. And for me personally, it's been such a, a privilege to be on staff with David, Ronnie, Carrie, Cece, Andy, all of them, and Izzy. Sorry, almost left you out. <laughs> Save the best for last. So, yeah, just wanted to express our heart in that. So, uh, for middle school specifically, I, I kind of wear different hats here, but that's one of the things that I do. And um, we are raising someone up to step in and take that over, those responsibilities. So, that's not going away or anything like that. Uh, we've built a great foundation and have more leaders than we've ever had. And we're excited about that. And so, uh, again, more updates on that to come. But more than anything, just wanted to, to express how privileged we've been to be here and how much we care about you guys. So Austin is a black X on our map. We've lost a lot of people to Austin and you are not coming back here. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I'm excited to see what God's gonna do with them. Uh, Bonnie's in Austin, who knows what could happen there. Um, but uh, we're really excited when Will said yes to coming on part-time. Uh, we were thrilled because of what we were getting in these two beautiful people. So um, we are honored that you guys have been here. We're honored that you guys were part of um, Vox. We're honored that you guys helped begin junior high ministry. Um, we're honored that you guys would come and you would speak and and a beautiful Jesus to us. So we're going to miss you and we're going to miss the things that you guys do together, but yet separate for the kingdom. Um, and you're welcome back anytime. So what we're doing, we're um, looking for uh, somebody to come alongside junior high and make that happen and trying to see how we can get him to um, continue to be connected here. Um, so whether that be teaching every once in a while, or maybe Emily can teach, <laughs> um, and seeing what else we could do to still um, allow uh, Will and Emily to be part of Ox. So in the meantime, we want to bless you and say thank you and excited uh, for Austin, sad for us. 
But um, I know God has prompted this in you guys. So who are we to say no? You, you know, still, you guys are going to do whatever you want anyways. <laughs> um, but all that to say is we are so thankful that we were able to do ministry together. Um, just the people here I know love you, um, and they really appreciate you guys. So um, would you guys stand uh, with me if you would like? If not, you may be stay seated and... Um, as I pray, you, you can extend a hand, whatever you want to do to show appreciation to them. I'm going to pray over them and pray blessing as they uh, get prepared to, to go to a different state. Um, Texas is lucky to have you. <laughs> so let's pray. Father, thank you for these beautiful people. Um, thank you that you've brought them to Vox. Um, Lord, thank you for the gifting in these two. Um, it's an amazing team but yet so individually gifted that you will use them, Father, um, to touch many, Father, to allow people to feel safe in their presence, to allow them, Father, to uh, reach a generation, Father. Um, and Lord, I pray that you would use them mightily, Father, whether um, wherever you lead them, Father, uh, whether it is ministry or not, Father, I pray that you would guide them, that you would um, direct them, but also, Father, that they may continue to show um, your love to others, Father, in such a pure way. Lord, we thank you for what they have done here, Father, but um, we have to hold people loosely, Father, because you call them to different places. But we're so honored that they have been here and so excited to see what you're going to do in their lives. Lord, we bless them. Uh, we bless their, um, their travels, Father, and we're thankful that we still get some time with them. God, we thank you for all that you're doing um, in and through them, and we ask that you would be glorified in it all. In your name we pray. Amen. Yeah. Well, guys, I hope you guys have a good week. Don't forget we have the seminar right after here on women in leadership, and then next week, please do not come here. Um, we will have some people at the doors reminding you that we're not here, but um, next week we'll be at Vox PM, 5 o'clock at Fieldwork. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. Will you guys be out? Yeah. They'll be out there if you guys want to talk to them. Have a good week, guys. Thanks for listening to the Vox Community Podcast. You can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash voxcommunity. Participate in the Vox Community at voxoc.com slash participate.